Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week, we have Brady Harden on with us, and I'm excited for this conversation. I love Brady. I've been following him for a while on Instagram. And so let's dive in to hear a bit of his journey and what he has to say. Brady, thank you so much, so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've been following you, like we just said, for quite a while. Um, and I love the, the the spin on things that you put. I love your heart to help people that are going through um, religious deconstructions, deconversions. Um, uh, you run a podcast as well, right? The Life After, is that? The Life After with my friend Chuck, yeah. Awesome, cool. Um, and so you're doing a lot of stuff in this space to help people that are going through these processes of deconstruction and deconversion. Um, but how did you kind of get to that place? I found most people that are in this space um, aren't people that have forever lived in the world of um, secularism, atheism, agnosticism. Generally speaking, it comes from a, a quite an involved story of being through some of those processes. Is that safe to say yes. for yourself? Oh, God, yeah. So <laughs> I grew up in a Christian fundamentalist home. My parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, okay. I'm sorry, I'm noticing my cat burrowing oh, it's in the blank. Awesome. He's put him, he just put, he just tucked himself in. Yeah. If you're um, listening to no, this on the podcast, you need to switch off the podcast and jump onto YouTube <laughs> and watch this because there's cats in this video. There's, there's going to be cats yeah. in the video. <laughs> they have no manners. Um, but no, I grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist home. I grew up a little bit south of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, when I was seven years old, my dad was cheating on my mom. He was abusive. He was also a deacon at our church. And so the misogyny and the bullshit and how all of that was handled was just absolute bullshit. And I don't know how, right. how I was yeah, to yeah. say it. Like he literally just went to a different church down the street and there was zero repercussions and wow. was able to get right back into, you know, heading things up in leadership or whatever. So that left a big mark on me. Um, and around seven, my brother, he was four years older than me. He started to get in, you know, with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things. And then my way of handling the divorce was to really throw myself into the religion, into the beliefs. So by the time that I was 14, um, I was I had committed myself, my, my whole future to the full-time ministry. So every wow. decision that I made from 14 on was to be the best, most biblical preacher and teacher of God's word that I could be. Um, also around that time, around 14, I realized that I was attracted to guys and I'm like, oh, this is a, that's a terrible a combo. Generally speaking, especially oh, the Southern yeah. Baptist kind of movement. I mean, maybe in a right. few spaces, but generally speaking, want to give my life to being a leader in the church and kind of like guys. <laughs> right. And so that was problematic because, you know, I was, conditioned and indoctrinated to believe that gay people chose to be quote that mm. way you know as if there's something wrong with us or whatever and so i really fought against that and i started to become more open about it when i was 18 or 19 to tell people like oh i i hate this phrase but i've got to use it uh i struggle with same-sex attraction you know mm -hmm. fucking hate that phrase so much but that's yeah. where i was and so i um was open with people and said, Hey, this is my temptation, but I'm never going to act on it. And that was my goal. I was never going to act on being gay or the temptations that I had because I knew that those were against how I read the Bible or how the, you know, my community read the Bible, et cetera, mm. which is the, the general history of the, of the church. Um, so 
also around 18 or 19, I didn't read any book but the Bible for two years because I wanted, I was working at a Christian bookstore and I was tired of being influenced by American Christianity or, you know, whatever. And so I wanted to really, uh, like my big prayer at that time was that I wanted to know God according to who he says he is, not according to who we say he is. And so I walked out of that like two year time frame becoming more of a um, more Calvinistic, mm. like reformed theology, like John Piper stuff, uh, which is like even more, you know, very black and white, very fundamentalist, very much like right. this is what the Bible says, etc. Um, and so I ended up finding a church that uh, that I agreed with and because I was youth pastoring at this time. Uh, I right. never had to apply for a job or anything. People came to me and said, Hey, we need a youth pastor. Will you, we know you and we trust you. And we know that, you know, you're the Holy Spirit's working through you. See, there's my cat packing stuff over um, wanting to like, you know, to hire me. And so I went to a couple of like ministry jobs that way. And then I got to the point where it's like, no, I want to be with people that I like agree with about the Bible. I just want to be part of like a family and part of a church because mm. growing up, you know, I had my dad who didn't care, my mom who was recovering from a lot of that and some of the PTSD and complex PTSD and other mental health issues created like for her to become an unsafe person to be around as well. Mm -hmm. And my brother was just a physical bully my entire life. So I just wanted to be around like a church family. And so I found this church family near where I grew up and I started to attend church there and there weren't that many people my age at the very beginning. It was mostly like older people, but I was like, you know what? That's fine. I don't care. Like I'm just now I'm around like my church family around other Calvinists who agree and believe the same as I do. And um, I eventually met some, like some younger people ended up coming there. One of them introduced me to his sister. We started to court not date, but court. Right. Cause yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, cause we kissed dating goodbye. Right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, so we recorded. Where are you we, heathens? You know? <laughs> yeah. The world, the ways of the world. So we ended up like dating. Then we got engaged. We got married. We had a kid. A few months after having a son, I found out she had an Ashley Madison account, which is a dating service wow. for married people who want to have affairs. Dang. Withhold, withhold all judgment on my ex-wife though, because no, yeah, it gets, it gets that's, good. That's it a shock story. It's oh, still yeah. the, it's it was, still the, it's still a twist, right? I mean, that is a plot twist here, right here. It for was the, hard. For the deeply reformed hard. Calvinist, you know, you know. Yes. Well, and it was funny because, like, you know, at fourteen, I was re- actively and openly re- repressing my sexuality, sure. and in my mind, you know, we always make those deals with God of like, okay, well, if I if I stay pure, you know, then I can just get married and then and marriage. But then it's like, no, even in that, like I was attracted to her. Like I didn't have to fake any of that. It's like, she's gorgeous. And sexuality is a very complex piece, mm. you know, but we, um, it was difficult and it was hard to like, accept that like, this is the last thing that I ever wanted for myself or my son. But yet this is what sovereign God is throwing at me. And so I did everything I could to stay faithful to the word and to still be the best future pastor that I could be. So we did church counseling and it was, it was bad. Like it, I was told things like um, that real Christians don't have a reason to raise their voice. And this was like after the second time that I found out that she was still 
you know, cheating and pursuing his relationship with a married guy in a different state. Um, and it, it was, it was really, it was shit. It was absolute shit. Yeah. Um, to find out one of the pastors was like making advances on my ex-wife during the counseling, just a lot of really shady bullshit. But, um, she finally filed for a divorce and they told me that I needed to beg her to stay and ask for forgiveness of anything that I ever could have done to make her want to have an affair. And at this time I was finally like in professional therapy for the first time in my entire life. Right. Because I was brought up to believe that, you know, it was like a shameful thing. It was like an insult to my family to be like, yeah. Oh yeah. Well you need, you need therapy. And it's like, well, we all did. Right. First and foremost, we all did. But then like for that to be kind of weaponized as like an insult mm. was, was not helpful. I went through like, I put myself through like, like account counseling sessions of therapy, basically. Like it wasn't that I went to like a sleepaway camp or anything, but I had gone previously to like other churches, like one-on-one speak with a therapist about my same-sex attraction, how to repress it, et cetera. But this was like my first time like with a professional therapist. He was supposed right. to be our, our, our couples counselor. He was a Christian therapist, uh, but like she wasn't wanting to come. She wasn't wanting to come. So I just started to see him on my own. And he was really helpful because during those sessions, I told him what was going on with my church and what they were demanding of me. And he's like, no, that is spiritual abuse. Like that's bullshit. Wow. You do not that's need to really do that. Helpful. So I read a book on spiritual abuse and I started to kind of like finally get a voice for myself to these abusive and bullying pastors and was able to kind of say like, no, if she's filing for divorce, I, it's not my responsibility to take more blame and to put it on myself mm. and to do whatever, try to talk her into staying. It became obvious that they wanted her to be somebody that she wasn't and they wanted me to be somebody that I wasn't. So um, we get a divorce. And through that process, though, I was disfellowshipped because they said that I wasn't working on my marriage and that I wasn't listening to their authority when it's like, no, I already took her back three or four times. Also, during that process, my my best friend just died of sudden heart failure. So like I was going through like just so much compacted trauma one after another of like reliving shit from my childhood, going through my own divorce, being cheated on repeatedly, my best friend dying. And then like somebody outed me to my mom. And like my mom was like, as I said before, I I was able to be open about my sexuality, but not with my extremely xenophobic and judgmental family. Um, And so my mom uh, tried to say that I shouldn't have my son overnight because I'm gay, because if I don't quote molest or rape him, one of my friends would. And so this is the kind of like shit, this uphill battle that I was starting to fight, like just by, just by not even just by allowing myself to be divorced. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was, it was absolutely absurd. Um, and, and I have to give my mom some credit. Like we set some boundaries and she's definitely learned and she's apologized. Um, and that's gotten better. And then over the years, my ex-wife also like realized, oh shit, she's not just straight. Um, she has a lot of shit that she needed to deconstruct and work through. And she did. And then now her and I are able to co-parent really well with our son. We have that's him. great half time and then she ended up marrying another woman this last year and I love her. She's like a lesbian version of me. <laughs> She's like a very empathetic, like smart, progressively thinking nurse. And um 
it's just really it's an honor to be able to like co-parent with them now our son is yeah. uh, is eight and so going through all of this you know i committed myself to the ministry but it, it started when i was younger than that because when i was eight when i went through my parents divorce i thought well, the religion is what got me through this. Mm. And so my thing was, because that helped me, I want to help as many people going through the same thing. Like I wanted to set up little support groups for other kids going through divorce or whatever. And that really informs a lot of my decision-making and my personality. And now I am coming to realize that like creating the podcast and trying to have like an online voice and writing when I can and other media that I'm trying to do is just an extension of that same person that I've always yeah. been of like, Hey, I went through some weird ass shit. Nobody's really talking about it that I'm aware of. Or if they're talking about it, it it's, they could, they could use another voice to come alongside and reinforce mm -hmm. it. So like, that's just how I'm wired. You know, I we went against the Enneagram. I'm a, I'm a four wing five. And so my thing is like, yeah, I suffered through some shit. And now my goal is to find ways to help people go get through that and to be able to master that and come out on the other side, more empowered of who they are, knowing who they are, more aware of their indoctrination um, and, and finding ways to, to, to combat their indoctrination and conditions, mm. beliefs. Uh, but also through this process, learning about religious trauma, like that was one of the things that sparked me is one of my friends, Jamie Lee Finch had posted an article on her Facebook about uh, religious trauma. And I read it and it really opened my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I've been experiencing through this yeah. whole situation. And I immediately like messaged a group of my friends and I said, hey, I don't know how this will look or whatever, but I want to do a podcast. Can I interview you? And uh, Chuck, who was my co-host, was one of the first ones to respond. Bonnie's like equipment let's just do it together and so ever since then we've been just kind of making this podcast together he's been great about editing and he's more of like he's very intellectual and I'm more of a feeler and when we were Christian friends we had an interesting relationship too because I was very Calvinist and mm. he was very Armenian but the joke okay. was like in our friend group we were the only ones out of the other side that we could handle because we we're friends and we knew how to communicate without being assholes. And so now it's like, it's just kind of a different continuation because I think like a big thing with deconstruction is everybody. And I used to say this whenever I was starting the, the life after I'd always worded as starting over mm. after leaving religion, starting over. And it, it gave this idea that we're just starting a square one. We have to completely recreate who we are. But the truth of the matter is the more that I've like looked into it and understood indoctrination and beliefs etc i've started to see like no i'm just the same person this entire time mm. it's just that the resources and the environment that are available that are available to me are different i mean just as yeah. like you know I, I think of jurassic park for whatever reason you know back then in the cretaceous period they were living and then now we bring them to our new world and it's not like the, the the dinosaurs wake up and they're like wait a second i'm not supposed to be here right now i'm supposed to be here millions. no they don't know that they just they live in the environment that they're in and their abilities and personalities and their their survival looks different in whatever environment they're in yeah and it's kind of the same thing for me now it's like i've always wanted to care for other people and help them through those things but now 
my way of doing that doesn't involve the Bible. It doesn't involve religion or beliefs. It has more to do with like self-awareness and understanding storytelling and understanding how like we are conditioned by the dominant culture to believe and to go along with certain things. And just to be able to provide people that vocabulary um, Mm. has been really helpful and important to me and also like be able to do that for others has been really rewarding. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I mean, it's an amazing journey and, and one fraught with a lot of ups and downs, it sounds like. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think anyone goes through deconstruction without having a few uh, ups and downs along the way. <laughs> um, usually, you know, kick-started by quite a few uh, uh, downs usually at some point. But uh, it sounds like, I mean, in my experience, and, and I come across this over and over and over again, uh, church is very ill-equipped to handle things that generally speaking need some form of professional therapy um, because they want to play therapist. They want to try and keep the control of that dynamic. And it sounds to me like you were very fortunate in a sense that your marriage counselor um, was properly trained. So even though they were Christian, they had at least the ethics components there to go, okay, yeah, maybe I have a a dog in this fight of like, well, I, I want marriage to survive or I want uh, you know, them to be a good Christian, or I want, you know, whatever those kind of things. But I know from an ethical professional licensed therapist perspective, that's not the point. The point is to help this person, tr- you know, through my expertise. Um, it's why generally speaking, I, I recommend people avoid Christian therapists actually, is because a lot of them don't manage yeah. to walk that line. Uh, unfortunately, I think many do. And I'm not saying you, you can't be a Christian and a therapist no, by any means. Um, but it feels like because of that, you really were, um, it was really pivotal for you. It sounds like that kind of transition from everyone ganging up on you, almost going, this is what you've got to be to someone suddenly going, Hey, no, this is abuse. That's trauma. That's, that's not okay that they're making this happen. Um, how did that, what did that look like for you? How did that feel? Like what, what, what was that like a huge weight off your chest? Was there, was there guilt or shame involved with that? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, it was so many things because I mean, at this point, like, you know, my best friend had passed. I was disfellowshipped. So like who had been my support system for seven years was not allowed to speak to me unless it's to bring me back to the faith. So like, and then, you know, my ex-wife and then my friend. So it's like I lost so many things and I was kind of like alone with all of that. And so that book on, I think it, which is called spiritual abuse. Like it's written from a Christian perspective, but it helped me see that like, even inside of like Christianity, Jesus, like in the Bible, the narrative goes that he talked a lot about spiritual abuse. And it was like in ways that I never really, that Mm -hmm. wasn't a category that was provided for me in the fundamentalist background. Um, So just like kind of getting terminology and vocabulary for those things of like, okay well just because i'm part of this like greater good community that's here to everything's about the gospel everything's about bringing glory to god blah 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 does it mean that i need to turn myself into a doormat or allow myself to be abused by Mm -hmm. these people there needs to be a sense of justice because even if it isn't for me um me speaking out is going to create justice for other people and so there was still kind of like a focus on others when it had to do with focusing on myself in some way. And those, that sometimes just needs to be the training wheels for people who were brought up in fundamentalist backgrounds. Uh, So there was a little bit of shame in that, but then 
I started to like walk away from the faith because through this situation, I realized I didn't believe in the Holy Spirit like I had. Mm. To me, I see the scripture saying that Christians would have unity, love, um, supernatural understanding, um, that there would be some sort of like justice there. And I wasn't experiencing that. And that's, I truly believed that the Bible and being in fellowship and going to church changed people from the inside out, making them more and more like, like godly is the way we were supposed to be. But then I wasn't experiencing that. And so, and then the Holy Spirit wasn't answering my prayers. And I was just like, something's not, something's not right here. And so then I had to like start digging into belief stuff. And that was hard, right? Because like, yeah, that was like an untouchable thing my entire life, because starting at eight, you know, it has always been my personal narrative that that's what got me through. Mm. And that's what made me survive or allowed me to survive. Um, But through that, becoming more secular, I was able to kind of move into a different therapist who uh, is not Christian. And to kind of like unpack some of those themes was really helpful as well. And to kind of get into like, um, uh, what is that? Behavioral BDT therapy um, and just reflecting differently without judgment. Mm -hmm. And then a huge step for me, I was talking to somebody about this today, was Brene Brown uh, was one of the first people to finally give me empathy language and Mm -hmm. like self-care language and just vocabulary about uh caring about myself and to, that was mind-blowing that was mind-blowing um and so yeah those were kind of the themes that i was wrestling with on top of my sexuality coming out you know that was uh, becoming a single parent divorced and a gay guy dating all at the exact same time was like really strange, especially where I live in St. Louis in the middle of Missouri in the middle sure, of America, yeah. right? Like, so there was just so many things to focus on all at once, but it all kind of just to kind of like domino effect, like everything just started to, oh shit, what the Holy Spirit's not real. Then what is that? Oh God, what about the Bible when it Oh shit! You know, and like just one thing after it's another. A huge, I mean, that's an know. existential crisis for most people. Yeah. I mean, this is your your whole identity, who you are, how you want to help people, your future. You know, what's giving you security and safety for your majority of your life, right? From eight years old, this is basically all your life. Um, right. For that to start being pulled apart, it's it's a personal unraveling. It's not just you know unraveling God, but it's it's an identity falling apart in the midst of 10 other bits and pieces falling apart, you know, is that's huge, yeah. huge. And, and honestly, it must have been, um, it, what was that? What was, because I want to say that must have been a real brave action, but I don't know if it was. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that was an act of divine stupidity on your part or something, just diving off the deep end and going, let's take apart this as well. Or, um, or, or did you, like, what, what caused you just to really go, and push through that barrier because generally speaking, a lot of people aren't willing to get through it. They'll, they'll let the cognitive dissonance hold them back or or whatever else. Like, do you, looking back on that time, do you have kind of insight on like what it was that equipped you to kind of be able to handle that and push through those things? For sure. For sure. Um, You know, understanding courage 
was a big thing for me. And Brene Brown talks about that. Like courage is your, your willingness to show your vulnerability to like, to, to, to be seen and to like come forward and be like, ah, this is who I am, but this isn't really what I'm not driving with the dominant culture here. What do something. Um, and so I think that one, and I, and again, like I said before, I see myself, like I, I didn't start over that part was already in me. I was already a vocal person about what I believe in, what I think was true. But to me, that was always dictated by the Bible. And so when I realized that like, oh God, the Bible isn't going to be my standard of beliefs anymore. It's going to be, you know, this like human-based empathy and kind of like non-judgmental understanding or, and, and to be able to look at things more objectively, then it was just kind of like a natural next step for me to be like, well, I want to be vocal about this process and this journey now. Um, and what I think also encouraged me too was kind of some of the pushback that I was getting. Hmm. So whenever I would talk about deconstruction and I would get pushback online from like progressive Christians or people from my fundamentalist background, et cetera, then I, then I would hear their arguments objectively and be like, uh-uh, that doesn't add up. Those right. Yeah, you can talk about the history of the church, but that isn't a, that isn't objectivity talk. That's not vitality talk. That's just, hey, if you're given a lot of shitty options, at least we're the most humane talk. And so my brain was like, but like that's how my brain worked when I was a Christian too. And that's what caused me to be a Calvinist was like, okay, well, we only know about God from the Bible. Um, he's not showing up in real life, like in the ways that he did in the Bible. So it's like, we have to rely on that to be able to define God. Like I said before, like I wanted to know God according to who he said he was, not who others say he was. So there was a little bit of that element of like really wanting to find objectivity at a young age, but my resources and what was available to me to define objectivity uh, up to that point was just an ancient book written by flat earth xenophobes from over 2000 years ago. Uh, whereas now my toolbox of understanding objectivity comes from being trauma informed, uh, being understanding of like how power dynamics work in society, how storytelling can be used as indoctrination or inspiration. But mm. in this case, you know, belief indoctrination. So just kind of like unpacking those things and I would learn something about oh well this is why i believe that way this is why it's wrong now now i want to share that with people so that's just always been kind of like a built-in thing into me and i think that it's pretty common with like if we're going to go with enneagram uh enneagram fours that like you know four is defined as like the romantic and usually what it is is there's a there's a history of loss there's a history of pain and then there's a there's a desire to express the solution to that pain um, in a way that's going to be shareable to other people. Mm. And then at that time, Phil, I got into Joseph Campbell and yep. the hero's journey and the monomyth. And then I was like, uh, you know, so that, that, that's a whole process of storytelling of where we're in this known world that we've known forever. Then we get, chucked into this unknown situation we learn to adapt to it we get new tools 
then we like we feel like we're being defeated but then we find like the answer to um to 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 not dominating that's not the right word to mastering this like this new environment and once we get that new tool then we want to take it back with us to where we're where the people we know are we take it back to our own community and we share it with people and as i started to like learn about the the, the hero's journey and the monomyth um i'm like god this is what i really like and respect is this mm. idea of going on these dangerous experiences and then coming back with like and sharing the things that we learn on that experience so that not everybody has to go through yeah. the same pain and the turmoil and the defeat and the trials and tribulations that um, somebody had to go through to get that wisdom. That wisdom can be shared outside of that suffering. Yep. And so that's been kind of like a big focus of mine now. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I think that was kind of my driving edge. Like, even as a Christian, I was uh, I wrote a book, I wrote a novel. Uh, it's like a spiritual allegory, and it was. Um, Can people still get it? it? Is it still out there? I think it's on Amazon still. I don't think I ever took it down because it's like I don't think I've made a sale in like you know, four, five, six years. I know <laughs> it's more than that. It's been at least ten now that I look back. That's oh, funny. God. Anyway, but I. I was obsessed with television beforehand. And a part of that comes from being like a lonely kid in a fucked up household. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got into lost and then I learned about the hero's journey and I got in the community, which is like a sitcom that I absolutely adore. And Dan Harmon, who's the writer and creator yeah. of that is huge into the hero's journey. And then I read, a, read a book on, it was written from a Christian perspective on the hero's journey. Mm. And I remember reading it thinking like, yeah, this is good, but some of this just doesn't really add up because some of this stuff predates Christianity. But I put that in my cognitive dissonance yeah. sector for a while. And then as I was deconstructing and going through it, I like went back to it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's because Christianity is just one myth out of many. And then to be able to look at religions objectively as like a whole instead of a religion as the... Um, I viewed it as the, the end all, but looking at it more for like for more objectivity allowed me to see like different patterns and to like understand diversity better and to care about diversity, to care about other voices and other religions and other mythologies and other ideology and realize that I could benefit from understanding all of those mm. instead of just committing myself to one of those or obeying yeah. i think obeying mm. is a good word obeying one of them you know yeah um so that was a big part of like my driving force that kept me going and helped me realize that i'm i'm part of a much 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 bigger picture and a much much bigger tradition of humans mm -hmm. but really all species of of doing that of going to unknown new environments adapting mastering them learning from them and then coming back and sharing that knowledge and i realized like no that's the way of evolution and in a sense like that's all the hero's journey is really it's like it's evolution in narrative form mm. and i realized that no i'm i'm bigger i'm part of a much bigger humanistic story now 
And I want to continue on this path because that's what I see as worthwhile and, and helpful now, even if I'm not getting paid for it and it's not my job, but <laughs> it is my, it is who I am. It's at the core of who I am. It, it always has been. It's just taken different flavors, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, all of these years. Yeah, absolutely. So do you see, um, where, where do you, where are you now? You, you see yourself as kind of completely outside of religion now, right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, I identify as an um, atheist, secular humanist. Is more, okay. Atheist is more of like a deconstruction term for me. Like, yes, right. I believed all this and I walked away from it. Atheism is the answer to one question. Do you believe in God? No. Mm. And, and and so that's it. And But like, I want to go the next step in my reconstruction terminology is why well, I'm, I'm a secular humanist. Right. That, that then is proactively saying, well, what do I, what do yeah. I, I don't want to say believe in, but like, what is a driving force what drives, who I am? Yeah. What's important to me? Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. And, and, I, and I like that. I, I often, I really um, dislike people like, well, what are you? Are you this? Are you that? And I'm like, to be honest with you, the, the associations we have with these different terms are so problematic because mm-hmm. I could label myself an agnostic, a Christian, an atheist. And based on what you believe that word means, you will then build this whole world around me that probably is completely wrong. So yes. actually what I find more helpful is, and this is why I don't ask people to define themselves generally, I, I was more leading to another question, but um, I, I'm like, I don't care what people label themselves as. What I generally would rather do is people get to explain who they are, share what they're about, mm-hmm. what drives them, like and that. then let people go, oh, I'll put you in this box of the boxes I have of how I define people if they need to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm not that fussed. But my, my point in asking that of like how you associate from, from my perspective of viewing onwards, you seem um, to have detached yourself from within those kind of frameworks of religion. Do you see religion as a helpful part of that evolution for humanity though? Or do you see it as a, a, a detour or how do you see like even like looking into your own path through religion have you been able to look at that and kind of integrate parts of it and go no that was helpful in forming me who I was and growing or do you look at it as gosh that really just held me back it stopped me being all I could be like how have you come to terms with that because I know a lot of people when they go through these processes they they're like, oh my gosh I wasted 20 years of my life or other people go no actually this is how I am who I am you know there's different ways people kind of come to terms with kind of stepping out of that world um how how do you perceive that season of your life looking back that's a great question it's more than a season it was sure i mean the most (laughs) (laughs) right um so i it's a mixed bag for me and some of it has to do with how do i answer it as an individual and also how do i answer it as like a species Mm. let me answer a species first um I see it ultimately as a detour and I think that, but it makes sense. And I think that it is also necessary in a way because I, I look at it as evolution of storytelling. And of course it's going to make sense of like stories have to evolve and they have to get new features and new traits to be able to like survive. And so some of those are claims of exclusivity, fear of hell, um, all of these like conditioned beliefs that helped perpetuate the story, but con- 
conflated in all of that were these like talks about morality and values. But I grew up in a way, especially with my Calvinistic like reformed background, where there was um, a dishonest level of exclusivity that we felt that we had over treating others the way you want to be treated or the, the way that others want to be treated, et cetera, that like, it was, it was, it was not helpful and it was dishonest. Uh, you know, we, we held on to an idea called common grace, which was the idea that, you know, number one, the, the first step of, of being a Calvinist is to think that humans are trash and that we're totally depraved and there was no good that we can do on our own, you know, um, original sin we were born into it we were born deserving hell etc and anything that is less than hell is by the grace of god and mm. not anything that we deserve and you know fuck that fuck 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 that in the face it's such yeah. bullshit and it's 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 brainwashing bullshit in fact they don't studies on brainwashing and that's the first step is to make you think that you're trash and to make you not be mm. able to trust your own brain so then they can come in with a new ideology and say, okay, come over to this now. So it's like, I see that like dishonest like thing, but if, if we're talking about a movement, if we're talking about a religion, then it makes sense for it to get those traits to survive, mm. to be able to survive going through. And then that's why we have like a certain amount of like these religions that claim exclusivity and how they, operate in certain areas of the world and not as prevalent in others and then then you know muslims think they're so much different than christians and christians think they're so much different than muslims but it's like no really there's so many things you all have in common it's just the fact that like you've branded you've branded your stories in a different way mm -hmm. and you have like created this like exclusivity clause uh, but like what i see now though is like a secular humanist is I think our next step of storytelling evolution, the next step of religion evolution, is to, is to strip away these conditioned belief parts and to make it about the values themselves, not mm. about the characters, not about Jesus or Muhammad or God or Allah or whatever or Yahweh, but like to make it about the morals because in the values of like treating others the way you want to be treated, having diversity, treating others the way they want to be treated, treating yourself the way that you treat others, like with mm. the same love. So there's like so much more dynamic things that we can do. And then I want the storytelling to be alongside that, not the star of the show. Yeah. Um, so I see it as a detour in the sense that it created unhealthy and dishonest traits for survival and i think a lot of people have had a hard time getting over those traits and have stuck with them because they fear the repercussions of losing their family their community they, then well then that means heaven's not real then that means that like i could go to mm -hmm. hell you know what I mean? there's like all these different things but it's like those aren't objectivity conversations those aren't modality of claim conversations those are I'm believing because of these things that don't have to really actually do with belief. Me personally, um, that's how I see it as a species is some of it was necessary because that's how survival of the fittest works and right. survival of the fittest works within storytelling. That was a vacuum 
we're the first species that have the ability to tell stories. So of sure. course, we're going to be running into some like really unique problems that no other species has had the vocabulary to deal with that we have to like become aware of now that now that we're like an evidence forward species yeah. um, and it's to go that way. For me personally, um, I, I really, what helped me deconstruct the most was quote, treating others the way that I wanted to be treated. What I've noticed with like Christian apologetics is they want you to walk in with an assumption that they are right, but that's not a thing that they're offering to other people. Mm. So to me, like repeating, treat others the way you would be treated, informed not just my empathy, but also informed my objectivity. That if I wanted to treat others the way that I want to be treated, then really, honestly, religious belief for me, in my perspective, I'm not saying this for you or all of your listeners, but for all of that just fucking died. Mm. It died because there wasn't a way for me to treat others the way I would be treated because then I would have to assume, well, Scientology is right because I want them to assume <laughs> that I'm right and I want them to deconstruct their faith and come over to mine. Why am I not doing that same thing? Well, well, there has to be a reason to. And then when you start looking at, you ask like a Christian apologetics of like, well, what makes your religion different? Like, uh, because Jesus came back alive. Okay. But that's not an objectivity thing. It's yep. that has nothing to do with its banality. You're just talking about the qualities that you like in storytelling. And then they'll be like, well, you know, the disciples, they had to be objective because they wrote some incriminating stuff about themselves. But it's like, okay, well, let's look at other religions too. That yeah. same thing's happening there as well. So, yeah, so really for me, it informed my empathy. And I also recognize that I'm a different person now than I would have been if I didn't have this weird ass shit to crawl through. I mean, it's like <laughs> the same with Katniss Everdeen. If she was brought up in the Capitol, she probably would have been a different person than when she was being brought right. up in her district. And, and because that, that struggle and that environment, that, that forced evolution, that forced adaptation that was brought upon mm. her made her have to, her, her, who she, the core of who she is had to respond in a different way to be able to survive. Um, and a perfect analogy of that, and I don't want to get into this too much yet, but like I think of Seven of Nine in Star Trek where she was a human, she was assimilated by this species called the Borg, and the Borg are all about assimilation, they're all about colonialism, they're all about um, uh, appropriating and forcing uniformity, and that's what fundamentalism was for me, mm. but like the thing about seven of nine is that she got out of that and then had to learn about what does it mean now for her to be a human. And like they brought her back recently cause she was in Star Trek Voyager back in the nineties and they brought her back recently for the Star Trek Picard show. And she's just now this like, you know, 25 years later, just this badass freedom fighter who's like going through the galaxy, kicking ass with her rifle and like protecting the rights of other ex board just as she was. And it's like, if she hadn't gone through the shit that she went through, 
then those other people wouldn't have had that sort of protector and wouldn't have that sort of voice fighting for them. So what I see myself as now is like, it helped me growing up the way that I did and coming out of it has in a special way equipped me um, to be able to help people who don't have the resources or don't have built in them necessarily to question in a way that my personality and my just nature nurture whatever the hell it is (laughs) you know it's kind of like created me to be so I find that is like a unique power that's come out of my experience that I am ultimately on this side of it grateful (laughs) for because I already know the end Dean, Brady, you're, Brady, you're still going to be a dad. Brady, you're actually going to get along with your ex-wife. You guys are going to be friends. Like, what the hell? I didn't see that coming. So it's like, I kind of already know the ending of the story now, so I can be more content with it. Yeah. If you would have asked me during the process, I would have been like, no, fuck my parents, fuck my churches, <laughs> fuck everything, you know, because um, that's what suffering does for us. Yeah. But what suffering does for us afterwards is educates us yeah gives us vocabulary gives us the ability to be self-aware to to look at new resources to adapt to adapt to adapt to adapt Mm. for survival and i think ultimately that's that's something that i'm grateful for and i'm happy that that had happened to me uh even though it really really sucked for a long time and i had like i still have like these crow's feet these are my like deconstruction (laughs) crow's feet like I aged like 10 years during my deconstruction right like but that's okay I'm making up for lost time and uh, I'm content with that that's beautiful that's really really good I mean I I I can sympathize with that massively going through my different uh troughs that I've been through whatever my first marriage fell apart uh, my mother dying, you know, being chronically oh. ill, just different things that happen. And you're just like, oh, kill me now. But, you know, in the moment, you're like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And then you look back and you can actually almost look at it as quite a beautiful time in some ways. And yeah. you can see profound uh, change occurring and actually freedom being uh, opened up for you as well from, uh, not being aware of a whole other dynamic of life and way of being that suddenly is opened up to you go, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize life could be like this. I didn't realize I was holding on to this baggage or whatever. And talking to people like you know, working with thousands and thousands of people over the years going through this process, it's the same story every time, you know, uh, if, if, if you give them a long enough, thankfully, because I've been doing this for so long, I've tracked with people for years going through this process. And so I, I get to see people go coming to me, it both stages right so usually they come to me going ah, what the fuck? Yeah, 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 which yeah, way yeah. is up you know they're freaking right. out um but then over the you know months and years and then before long you know um i posted recently on instagram like you know like what was deconstruction like for you or how do you perceive your deconstruction now and, and people sharing their stories and things and so many people there that were coming to me going ah, i don't what's gonna happen i'm like look it's okay i don't have anything to fix you but i'm here to chat if you need and now they're posting on that post going it was the best thing that ever happened to me and i would never wish on my worst enemy but actually i kind of do wish on my worst enemy on some level if they're stuck in that i really hope they find the freedom that they they need um 
and so it does feel like it's it's just like you're saying it's it's kind of almost an inevitability of like if that's where you are and you need to get over here there's some form of wrestling struggle uh jihad our, our islamic friends would say you know um in every religion there's right. some component of of trying to figure this out of facing some horrific reality that you don't want to come to terms with right paul running around murdering people then gets kicked off his donkey and goes holy shit i'm a mur i'm murdering all the people that are right right whether he's right or not he's coming to terms with this stuff he's right. gonna like and then radically change um and and i think that's part of the hero's journey right you go you learn this new thing you come back and you go right okay guys i was wrong now i've got the truth Right. And funny enough, we never really have the truth, right? Because we're probably going to do this again and again and again. Ad we should, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for now, I've got it figured out, guys. I've got the truth. Just listen to me um, and hopefully help people take some uh, steps forward. So how are you doing that? So, you, you, you know, you've got your podcasts and different things like that. But um, I guess there's, there's different philosophies on how to help people that are um, bound up by some of those toxic things within religion. Um, and for me, I don't necessarily see every um, expression of religion as toxic necessarily, especially for certain people at certain seasons of their life and times of their life and worldviews. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go as far to say every type is, but I think a lot are, and most of the people listening to this have probably have been through their journey of experiencing some form of toxic religion. Mm -hmm. um, but there's different philosophies, okay, of like, okay, well, how do we reach those people, impact those people, help them on their journey. Do, do you have a, a philosophy of how you approach that? How you um, try and spark that in people or yeah, help them with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think number one, the podcast, the philosophy of the podcast is, you know, we did an episode on me, we did an episode on my co-host, but for the most part, like we're there to, so we, we, the house, the way that we come up with a lot of our episodes was we're like, Okay, who's not a white straight male who's been fucked over by this religion? And we're like, okay, here's the microphone. Tell us your story. Mm. And then we're able to kind of like walk through um, and, and hear them out. And so I think like just that process of storytelling over and over creates a precedent and it creates vocabulary for people that normalizes their situation realizes that they're number one, the first step, and this is like Brene Brown 101, right? The first step is to realize that you're not alone. Mm. Um, and, and whatever you're going through, like, uh, I mean, I was disfellowshipped, like formally disfellowshipped from my church. And, and I realized that, like the biggest part of that process is to silence people who don't agree and to get them out of the community so that their voice isn't there dissenting and isn't there creating friction. But like the problem with nowadays is we've got podcasts, we have social media. Mm -hmm. It um, doesn't like work a, very well. Right. Like a, a, a committed pastor could be de deconstructing listening to our podcast on his headphones right next to his like super believing wife or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's an important thing to me is to kind of like tell these stories to create a different precedent, a precedent of evolution, not a precedent of just staying, mm. not just a precedent of cons conserving, uh, but one about that is about change with the new information that you have. That's a big uh, aspect of what I do. Another one is I didn't shy away from having conversations with people online that I disagree with. 
uh, eventually a lot of the Christian fundamentalists on my Facebook page have been blocked over the years <laughs> because like I've come out and they would be like, you're going to hell. And it's like, I don't have time for that shit. You, you don't mean anything to me anymore, you know, but like, I still like stick around with difficult conversations because I want to be able to hear what they have to say and yeah. how I can combat it. The way that I look at it is um, here, just a word picture. Let's say that we're, we're all inside of a building that has like these toxic fumes and we all need to get out of the building. And so we do, and most people just keep walking, but for whatever reason, I'm wired to be like, yeah, I want to go back in that building though. And I want to figure out what the cause of that shit is and how I can fix it and how I can yep. like create posters to put inside of that building that says, Hey, don't go to floor three. It's got a gas leak, but you can come out this window. Like that's how I'm the wired. Yeah. And so I'm more, I'm more of wanting to go back and say, um, how do I help people outside of this thing that I've left? And so mm. a lot of my focus recently has been on coming up with terminology and vocabulary of questioning indoctrinated or, or conditioned beliefs that um, we are a species that was evolved to survive. We're not a species evolved to know exactly what all absolute truth is. Yep. We do whatever works for us inside of that environment. But now that our environment is changing and people are calling bullshit, you know, on a lot of the conditioned beliefs and indoctrination that we have, um, I want to be able to provide them some of the terminology mm. and just avenues of be able to really question things objectively and to figure out who they are. But at the same time, I have this huge passion in storytelling. And I recognize that like, to me, the importance of storytelling is to inspire people, to keep them going, to keep hope alive. Um, and not just hope built on like these, I would say like science fiction elements or fantasy elements, but like, but to actually build like our hope on real life. Like my hope mm. is, to leave the world in a better place than I found it, like the campsite rule, um, and to be able to provide a better generation for my son, because mm. to me, that's what adaptation is. I have to realize that evolution is bigger than just my generation. It's bigger than just yeah. me. Whereas like religion and Christianity, in my opinion, had a lot more to do with like, okay, I need to save myself before all the rest of this shit goes, blows up and goes the shit. So it's like, I need to save myself as many people as I can because, you know, the future is going to go horrible and we're going to the apocalypse and we're going to whatever. Right. But now my perspective is we're in a shitty time, mm -hmm. but we can evolve. We can have progress. We can have secular humanism come in and fill some of these gaps where like problematic conditioned beliefs and indoctrination once were and instead of us thinking about like let's do the most good before the earth blows up it's no let's keep on doing the most good and changing our environments and change mm -hmm. what tomorrow is going to look like because if we look at history that's what we've been yeah. benefiting from this whole time absolutely is this like constant change of evolution this constant like pursuit of betterness for our species and betterness for our world so i recognize that storytelling does that mm, it's an yeah. inspiration 
to me, it was used as indoctrination. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is help people understand, no, we can do inspiration instead. So I do see some parts of Christianity doing that, like uh, Christian mysticism and Quakers, etc. Mm. But to me, it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth because that's a privilege that was won by being the dominant culture and that was became the dominant culture through dishonest and harmful means. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, for me, I see in the long run, it more beneficial for the world and for humans and our species to give up some of these labels and to give up branded exclusive types of inspiration because one generation or two down the line it's not just inspiration anymore it's Mm. indoctrination it's belief conditioning it's this narrative is better than these other narratives Um, our characters are more important than other religion characters Mm -hmm. etc and i would rather we just take a step back and say ah but what's the best for all of us and what's most accessible to all of us Um, because i know that like christian mysticism brags about being inclusive but it's not inclusive to what i think is inclusive Mm. because i'm an atheist i'm not going to find leadership in that church i'm a very sexually active I don't really see Barry. I'm a sexually active gay person. <laughs> you wish you were. <laughs> I'm, an eth- I'm an ethical slut, damn it. Like I'm, well, I just don't want to say Barry to make it sound like I'm whatever, but there's no shame. Yes, I'm a very sexually active gay person, but like I'm not going to find equality in mm. those churches, even if they're all pro-LGBT. There's still an element of assimilation that has to occur to benefit from their their own dominant cultures um just as like my southern baptist church wasn't for women because they're not going to have leadership they're never going to have a say because it's like built into their things it's the same thing with like christian mysticism when it comes to like sexually active gay people or um or atheists or non-believers or whatever it's not really for us it's for more people than it was before and i want to applaud them for that and i think it's great but i i'm hoping that that can become more of like a training wheels for our species the generations down the line that sort of like oh i'm a this mysticist Mm -hmm. or i follow this this like Bible, because another thing that that does, and I swear I'm going to get off my soapbox, like another thing that that <laughs> does is it it requires some revisionist history that I find very offensive and very problematic. Mm. That like Christian, like progressive Christians want to come in and they they are very proud of being pro LGBT, and I've even experienced the point of like where some of them act and speak as if being pro LGBT came from their belief system came from like being a progressive Christian. And it's like, no, what got you all to be progressive Christians is because you murdered secular people and you finally had the empathy to listen to the people screaming as they were being burnt or stoned or whatever. Um, And so that empathy is really important, but then it becomes like, branded and exclusive Mm -hmm. 
and like oh well we're 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 this but it's like okay but let's look at your history let's look what got you to where you are now to where you have the privilege of saying oh well we don't want to be just like the mainstream christians anymore because you're still building off of violence and murdering scientists and stopping progress and um opposing observation for faith like that history is there and that's what's gotten you to this safe place where now in your place of privilege you can say yeah but what if we start allowing gay people to come in Mm -hmm. right so it's definitely like a step in the right direction but when it starts to claim ownership of those things that's a step back and then we're getting down to like where it's like still conflict of the narratives a conflict mm-hmm. of the stories and i just i don't think that that ultimately is going to yeah. be helpful or beneficial for us it just, feels it feels like a really hard dynamic this is something that i um have wrestled with i, I work with a lot of um uh, leaders of different communities mostly these days churches are trying to change their outlook their backgrounds their communities to be more inclusive to um yeah probably a lot of them would be trying to shift into kind of more progressive christianity spaces some of them are progressive christianities and finding out actually there's a lot of problems with being a progressive christian and can we keep our community but progress into something beyond that um at a certain point the labels become almost this complex meaningless soup you know where it's all yes. kind of blurs into each other but but for me the 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 point that i find people wrestling with again and again and again is there's this component of a desire for greater inclusivity and you just said there yourself you know that one of the dynamics is like you know that's not the most inclusive way that we could do things you know something like progressive christianity or certainly not things like fundamental christianity you know the southern baptists right. not known for their inclusive stance for anyone other than straight white men right i mean and even then only if you are a business leader or a lawyer or you know um, and so you know it's just not um it's not something that most groups and movements are known for is their inclusivity just in the sake of a Brene Brown would have this down to a T right you only belong when you don't um you know and this is the problem of like anytime you've got a movement whether it's the Christians or the agnostics or the atheists or the whatever by giving yourself that label and going this is what I believe this is who I am this is my core values or this is what drives me on some level I'm saying and therefore I have now figured out and drawn a line going this is where i am and you are somewhere else so you are on a different page or and and it's a very problematic component of how do we build communities how do we build movements because at the end of the day if we want to make the world a better place it'd be awesome for me to go and do that or for you to go and do that but it's gonna work if we become a movement together if we do this together it's gonna be pretty hard bloody work if we do this on our own and so how we create these inclusive movements that are doing this together when so many of us on some level still have these exclusionary concepts, whether they're very implicit and subconscious, um, which I think is true of most people. I don't think people think they're being that exclusive. Even very fundamental Christians often don't think they're right. being exclusive. I know I didn't. You know? Right, right. Um, and, and it's only when you have the veil lifted, you go, oh my gosh, I'm exclusive. I, I thought thinking? I was loving the LGBTQ. <laughs> I was loving them, uh, but hating their sin or, you know, but I was really exactly. inclusive of me exactly. or whatever. Right. 
um, and, and guilty, right? I, I, I'm, I'm still guilty of it probably in a whole host of areas that I'm not aware of. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement that started up has a whole nother level made me aware of, gosh, I'm so much more racist than I thought I was in so many areas. It just breaks my heart. Um, but I'm not going to guilt myself. I'm just going to work on it and grow. But that was right. probably on some level creating one of these lines that would mean that people of a different color would have felt on some way othered, exclusionary, wouldn't have felt included in anything I do. Um, and, and so we're constantly trying to break down these walls, but at the same time, is it possible to be a truly inclusive community when people are um, possibly by evolutionary nature exclusionary right we've evolved to right. go oh that person is different from us they're from a different tribe and maybe dangerous or i don't know necessarily the ins and outs of that um but they've shown that really young question. babies can identify different things different races different sexes you know they can identify things at a very young age and be wary of someone that's not their mother for for example you know and so evolutionary we've got something in as it goes oh stranger danger <laughs> something different right you know that's there's that's a built-in xenophobia mm -hmm. um and, and i and maybe that's something we have to try and transcend and evolve i'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing at all but i'm saying it, it's a component that we're we're we're, we're fighting against uh it's there's a, a landslide of it that we're trying to push back up the hill almost it feels like at times um do you that's have thoughts really on that point. with how we build community how we create movements with those dynamics in play yeah absolutely so like i think that kind of what you're describing as tribalism, this idea of like us versus them, or like wanting to kind of like dismantle that sort of tribalism and move to like, okay, what's our next step that's more inclusive? Because what gets difficult with religion is like, to me, it, the way that I understand it, like religion has become like such an object lesson in tribalism. And because our, our culture is changing, like the world culture is changing, it's created a different environment now for those religions to, to be in, right? And what do we know from evolution? When you have a new environment, you either adapt to it or you die. Mm -hmm. um, and so because our world is becoming more inclusive, that's kind of what's happening to these exclusive religious brandings is they're like, oh shit, we need to become more inclusive or we're going to die. And so I see like some of these like inclusion talks from like progressive Christians or Christian mysticism and everything to be just a step in the evolution of Christianity, not in a step of, of, the, of the evolution of humanity. Uh, mm. But I do see that there's a lot of overlap. And so focusing on those things that overlap at the same time as questioning and kind of poking holes in some people's beliefs mm. and kind of be like, okay, all right, cute. So now you want to ignore the parts that are anti-LGBT uh, and you want to welcome gay people, but like you, you recognize that that doesn't mean that anything magical has ever happened that's in your book. And that, mm. that if it was, we would have evidence of it today, like miracles, supernatural unity, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like, you know, <laughs> the fruit of the spirit, or like, you know, started poking of like, yeah, but why, why do most people, what, why are you more likely to be racist when you're Christian and claim to have the Holy Spirit in you, you know, like different things like that, where I think it's important that like, even if we are going to focus on the overlaps, they're still challenging their status quos mm. and help them like, see like, Yes, it's a good thing that you're evolving to be more inclusive, but also realize 
that's not necessarily for human sake. That might just be for the sake of the narrative that you have been conditioned to protect and that you've been conditioned to find creative ways to make it work or yeah. find creative ways to like assume that it's right and then have like an a fancy answer that goes into metaphysics and blah, 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 blah. So I would say that like my answer to that is to definitely be going towards more inclusivity as a whole, um, but also at the same time, finding gentle ways and maybe not always gentle ways to challenge the status quo that's still perpetuating these old ways while thinking, oh my God, we've arrived. Oh, I've got a lesbian pastor at my church. You know, obviously mm -hmm. we, but it's like, no, well, that doesn't fix any of the, that doesn't fix history, number one, that doesn't add fidelity or objectivity to your religious claims. You just have found a way for people who are previously marginalized to thrive inside of a dominant culture. Mm. And that's not anything new. I mean, like if I can talk about race for a moment, that's what Candace Owens is and Ben Carson is. And then like more recently, this like coronavirus doctor who um, believes in, in demon semen, like the dominant culture of piece of shit white men wouldn't give a flying fuck for what any three of them would say until they start saying what they what mm -hmm. benefits their movement, what benefits yeah. their beliefs and their culture. And it's kind of like in a much, much lesser extent what we see in progressive Christianity, where it's like, okay, well, we previously didn't allow you. Now we're going to allow you all to come in. And then for some people, they just needed to see them, their, people like them thrive in a culture that once harmed them. And that is like maybe the end of their deconstruction. And mm. that's fine. But as a whole and as a species, I think that we need to keep on questioning and keep on encouraging each other to question and to have conversations that gets us to that next yeah. step of actual inclusion that's based on, that's why I'm a humanist and I would say the opposite of human narrativeness. So it's like either you're gonna be working for the sake of a narrative or you'll be working for the sake of, of, of humanity. And one thing that really helped me with that is the hero's journey, of course, because like it is a, it, it made it possible for me to step back and to look at all religions equally and say, hey, there's a lot of shit here and fuck it. Let's burn that shit down. Mm -hmm. But some of the storytelling that has survived over all these years did so because they actually did help us become more of an inclusive, yeah. better humanity a better species. So be able to equip people with the ability to appreciate all religions secularly, mm. I think is going to be our next step of evolution when it comes to narrative and religious evolution, um, because it allows us to take the good, to appreciate the good without being forced with the bad, not appropriating either because there's a self-awareness that's present there and a verbalized one, right? Like um, mm. if the Bible started off by saying, hey, here's some metaphors about what we believe. Beautiful. We wouldn't that's have funny. wars. We wouldn't have indoctrination. We wouldn't have like all these 
thousands and thousand types of denominations. It would have evolved. It would have evolved to be a completely different, mm. a completely, completely different animal, completely different beast. But because it did have these claims of exclusivity, it was it was um, challenged and it was uh, threatened, you know, over other belief systems yeah. and you know the 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 people that they needed to assimilate was limited so there had to be competition there um it evolved to be a beast that really isn't necessarily going to be long-term helpful for us in a global community yeah um, so a lot of that needs to just be understood needs to be um people need to be seen where they are at in their deconstruction uh, micro or micro evolutions of their their belief systems and and to be treated with respect and empathy and kindness at the same time challenging the conditioned beliefs and yeah. challenging the conditions narratives and most of all challenging dominant cultures because white straight men where i live that's number one and of course what they use these religions as part of their their tactics because that religion used the same tactics to get to where it is now. Yeah. So it's like it's not just a weaponization; it's an overlap of goals, and it's it's a symbiotic relationship more than it is a weaponization, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just trying to figure out ways to dismantle that I think is going to be really important for us as we go forward. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, there's so many different areas we could have jumped off into different uh, little uh, rabbit trails. But um, a few things jump at me. I think one thing that's fascinating to me, and I think it's important to be said as well, because I think um, a lot of what we're talking about here can be seen as a very um, intense, aggressive um finality of a statement against religion or people that are in those religions or even the straight white men or whatever right i mean i'm a straight white guy and at no point did i intend to manipulate and use christianity to oppress someone or to make myself better than but that's not to say it's not happening but i think it's the thing of uh, you know there's a very different uh, reality to intent and impact right and so yes. whether you intend to do that and whether it's doing that are two different things. And so I think people that are hearing that maybe and just going, whoa, 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 like, hey, like we don't, we're progressive Christians. We're not using it that way. And it's like, you're not intending to use it that way maybe, but it is coming across that way to a certain group of people. Um, and that's the prodding, right? It's going, can you look at that impact and go, huh, even if that's not our intent, do we need to change something? Do we need to evaluate it? Because I think that's the, the, the key is, until you take those lenses off, you won't see it. You won't see how systems are benefiting you, how you're using a narratives to prop up what you believe and make yourself feel safe and secure and certain. Um, and, and until you can kind of look at it from a different angle, have a lens shift, you know, someone rips your glasses off and you go, holy crap, what is that? Um, it's not going to change. It's not going to shift. You're not going to um, see those that you're othering or see how your narrative that seems fantastic is actually not fantastic for everyone. You know, I, I know that you've mentioned the progressive church a few times, and I think this is something that um, 
I, I did a series on my Instagram of myths about deconstruction um, and went through about 10, 11, uh, 12 myths. And one of them was, um, oh, people at deconstruct should just go to the progressive church. They're just becoming liberal in their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so they should just go to the progressive church. And, and I was like, well, that, that actually might be phenomenal advice for some people that are deconstructing, depending on what they deconstruct. So like you're saying, you know, like if you're um, gay and you are really bought into Christianity, the progressive church might be a great place for you. It really might. You know, because you might go there and they go, yeah, we totally affirm people that are gay. You can be in leadership. You can get married here. Um, but you still need to believe X, Y, and Z about the nature of God, about, you know, right. whatever. And they might go, right. fuck, yes, that's amazing. I'm in. And you go, huh, cool. That's wonderful. But actually, for a huge portion of people, they're deconstructing more than a few components, which generally speaking, when it like something like the progressive church, it's generally things like social justice components, you know, women's rights, yes. LGBT, maybe reading the Bible um, a little less literally and a little bit more like um, uh, metaphorically, you know, things like that. Maybe you go, yeah, okay, this is my place. But actually, a huge percentage of people that deconstruct, that's not going to be enough. And actually, they will find real challenges in that movement. Um, and I think this is the where the rubber hits the road, is, is being sensitive to what people are deconstructing, where people are at right now, what, what path they're on, what is it that they've grabbed and they've brought back and gone, right, I need to explore this new world that I've ex- uh, unraveled. And it's that I read the Bible and I can read it in a way that supports people that are lgbtq amazing cool i can still be a christian okay i'm not going to drag you out of there kicking and screaming going no you've got to come to my humanist meeting or you've got to come to yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. whatever I, I don't know um is, is, what, what do atheists and agnostics do i don't know come to the chess club i'm a part of i don't know like, yeah, I don't really, society. Yeah, what, yeah. whatever group am i going to every week um this is what the problems are deconstructing right it's like you you go from a, a southern baptist to um uh, a Calvinist, a hardline Calvinist, where well, you just find a, a hard reformed church and you go there and then you become a charismatic and you go to a charismatic church. You, you become someone that goes, I'm not really sure what I believe, I kind of believe some things and I'm not really sure. There's not a, a weekly meeting for those people, you know? I'm right. kind of done with church. I'm going to get together every week with people that are done with church over here with the not a church church that's not so common a thing especially if you know you're somewhere like missouri or something um, well it's funny you say it because we have that here like right. and that's it's becoming you know, I was mentioning popular, earlier, right like an ethical society mm. but like even at the ethical society like i walked in and i'm like oh god this is so much like church even though right. it wasn't right and like what you said earlier about like there has to be an awareness of our environments like it doesn't have to be let me rework that that sounded wrong um, we benefit when we understand awareness of our environment. So, you know, me being in the U.S., um, I could I could say, yeah, we're we're this you know kind of well put together country usually. <laughs> Not anymore right now, but like, but I have to recognize that like, well, part of that is because we benefited and we forced people to do our work for us, and that like greatly you know, fucked our economy in certain ways that like was for for our benefit, but it shit on everybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, me growing up in Missouri and like being in elementary school in 1992, learning about slavery. And then I hear about, I'm like, well, I didn't do that. I didn't want to do that. But there, there has to be an awareness of like what, what made the environment that I'm thriving in, Mm -hmm. what caused the environment that I'm thriving in. And when there's people that don't, that aren't very othered 
um, environments of the dominant culture are going to be okay because they're part of what the dominant culture has shaped yeah. their environment to, to work for. Um, and so like me being growing up gay and then like going through the deconstruction that I did. And then in my deconstruction, I was like, looked at the origins of the Bible and like how Constantine did it and like how the voting of like what would be like divine or not and like how it really just kind of looked like a short story contest that was sponsored by the state and then like then start to kind of like go through like the deep of like well where did this come from stuff that starts to change your thinking and change mm -hmm. how you perceive people and how you treat them and so for me now of like for instance i watched the documentary 13th opened my eyes to understanding a lot more about systemic racism yeah now to me it's not enough to be just well i'm not racist now i want to be anti-racist like i want to proactively do and have conversations and vote for people and to, which by the way st louis we had an election yesterday and like like four women of color won and it was like this great like such an encouraging landslide for wow. us as like such a shitty state that we are to like be like ah but here we're getting more representation more diversity and like it's not just going to be the status quo anymore thank god mm. thank god thank god uh or thank humans i should say <laughs> <laughs> thank democracy so like you know, we, we now are like in these times where like the more awareness we have of what created the environments that we thrive in, the better off we are because then we're able to not fall for the same mistakes tomorrow. And so I see progressive Christianity and Christian mysticism as a step in that evolution of saying, okay, well, these values weren't in our book really. Like I get so frustrated when Christians try to make Jesus out to be this like pro lgbt <laughs> you know like freedom fighter yeah. and i'm like, like yeah two thousand years in the future he didn't say shit he didn't do fucking shit and like if his dad told everyone to kill people like us and then his response is to be silent on it mm -hmm. well fuck him fuck that shit because like there's a malcolm x quote that comes to my mind that's like you know if you have a dagger six inches or nine inches into my back and you pull it out a few inches that's not progress that's not <laughs> like healing you still have a fucking dagger in your in your back so like the whole thing of like trying to change the jesus narrative to be like this uh progressive like inclusivity god i find offensive because mm. that isn't the case and that's that's narrative based progression that's narrative-based yeah. you know humanism whereas i'm like no if we want to progress over this hurdle yeah. of these like branded exclusivity religions stories we need to like be actually like human-based progression yeah. not to progress not to evolve a narrative to work in a in an ever-changing environment that it is a belong in but to like actually change the environment to be what's best for the yeah. most of us the, the needs of the many yeah. but like i i want to appreciate and, and and show people hey i think it's cool that you're making this movement a change it's not enough for me personally 
which I need to learn not to add that part just to say, <laughs> hey, appreciate you, whatever. But like the, the other hard thing too is like not being a agent of the dominant culture. And, you know, if I'm really reductionist, I can just say Christianity, okay? Like it's, it's, it's a popular thing to be a progressive Christian. Yeah. It's an accepted thing. But like, just because I'm not part of that movement, then just whenever I say anything, it's, it's, it's felt as, well, I'm anti this. I'm anti the yeah. dominant, because I'm sticking out because I'm not blending in as the dominant culture. So it is the same situation of like, if there's a gay character on television, it's like, oh, you don't need to ram that down our throats. Oh my God. What you? It's like, no, it's just representation. And the flip side of that would be, like if I jumped on Christian's Facebook or their Twitter feeds and anytime they said something about God for me to like proactively push against that and be like, Oh, Oh yeah. You believe in God. Well, that's anti me then isn't because I'm an atheist. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe you're doing this. You're, you're whatever. But that's the sort of treatment that I've become used to online sure. of being an outspoken non-believer and outspoken atheist is like this idea that even if I say something, well, then it's anti you, it's anti your mm. dominant culture. And it's like, that's not, that's not honest. That's not really what's yeah. happening here. You just don't have the awareness of like what it's like to have an entire culture standing behind you. Like, yeah, man. And then opposed to being one on the outside of like, and I guess I, I, experience this in a different way because like you'd mentioned before when you deconstruct there is this misnomer that you're just going to go to a more aggressive side of the dominant religion um, instead of leaving it all together and when that doesn't happen then you stick out like a sore thumb mm -hmm. and so because i've been outspoken during the deconstruction process specifically a lot of like progressive christians have like tried to like come at me and um christian mystics have like tried to come at me and be like oh well that's not what we're blah, blah, blah. but then like they don't understand that i am i'm asking questions that they haven't thought to yeah. ask yet and it doesn't make me better or smarter it just means that my experience was different especially going through spiritual abuse yeah. going through being gay and all this it made me question things at a deeper level than most people would yeah. feel necessary to and so the options are to either let me coexist with you while saying things that you don't believe or to push me out and try to make me out to be this bad guy or this like, I don't know, like anti-religion, anti whatever. And that's not necessarily who I am either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just so much stuff about being part of the dominant culture that we don't understand because that's the environment that we are conditioned to live in it's just like if you pull a penguin out of the arctic and throw him into like the desert it's like well now what buddy what are you going to do you stick out here what are you doing here this isn't your home you don't belong here but then eventually like there's penguins that do live in the fucking desert <laughs> i think don't quote me on that that are like no we've adapted here and we're chill and this is who we are and we're happy with it right so like getting that opportunity to like be found outside of what your natural environment is is important yeah but also adapting to a new environment it's still 
realizing you don't have to get up and move and go to a completely different place just because you left the dominant culture. Yeah. Hell, like my big thing is when you don't have a seat at a table, fucking build your own and invite everybody <laughs> over. And uh, and if you start to exclude people from from your table, have a good reason why. I'm not going to let a Christian fundamentalist at my table because their ideology is built on thinking that I deserve to be in hell uh, in a special way for being gay. So I don't have to deal with that shit because it's, mm -hmm. it's weaponized. It's offensive. It's not defensive. It's offensive. Um, but then like Christian mystics and progressive Christians, they have a seat at my table too, but, but they also need to realize that I'm going to be there. And I'm going to talk about dominant cultures. I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about um, evolving a religion to fit into a postmodern society. Um, they're going to hear me talk about how we could be narrativist or we could be humanist, but I'm going to still treat them as people and as equals. Um, but what I've seen is that when it's a Christian, progressive Christian table, there's not room for people like me. Mm. There is, they'll say there is, but there, there really isn't. We can't be in leadership. We can't, we can't introduce other narratives. We can't be sexually active and uh, like not committal to one person or be polyamorous or whatever. Um, because there's, that's it's not what their the table is built on. Right. There's, yeah. That's what their, their table yeah. is built on, but mine's built yeah. on just being human. Right. Yeah. Which we, we all have a line here and there, or we, we all have some sort of like, you know, we, we all build lines around certain things, right? If, if I showed up at your table and was like, hey, I actively murder people on Saturdays. It's just one of my things, you know, you would be like, <laughs> Phil, classic, pull up a chair, you know, oh, wait, actually, it's no, Saturday, no, right. bugger off, right? You know, I don't know. Right, 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 right. You would be like, mm, I don't know about this guy, Phil. <laughs> you know, so we all have different lines for hopefully some really healthy reasons. You know, like you're like you're saying, whoa, you're really offensive, aggressive with your way that you want me to live my life. I'm sorry, this is, isn't the table for you. There's a really table right. table over there you will love. Like you guys can like yeah. glare at us, you can hold up signs at us, you can talk about how bad we are and how we're ruining your fun at your table, but this is not your table. Um, but it is really, it's a hard dynamic that that, that is just part and parcel of, of um again human relationships and communities is we all are going to draw some line somewhere where we go hey we're inclusive for this group <laughs> right well i so, think some of that has to do with our values right it's mm, like absolutely. murder is definitely against humanistic values because yeah. that hurts humans right so yeah i think it has to do with with values whereas are based on an understanding of evolution and how the world yeah. works and like environments, et cetera. Whereas other um, values are built on, well, this is what the book told us. Yeah. And there's good things that came out, out of that, of course, because they copied down their values of that culture. Excuse me, I'm burping. They copied down the values of their culture at that time. And of course the values that are going to work through evolution are the ones that keep people alive that create order that like do whatever. And so um, that could be there, but like our ways of getting to those values can be completely different yeah. avenues and different, like whatever. Um, and if somebody is really set on the avenue in which you land on that value, 
then you're valuing not the value anymore. You're valuing the journey to the value. And that is like, that can be problematic in and of itself because it's yeah. creating an exclusivity. It's creating a hierarchy of, it's another power structure yeah. of like, uh, you're progressive Muslim and came to all the same values that I did. Yeah, but I'm a progressive Christian and you know what I mean? And it, and it has yeah. to do with like that journey towards it. Whereas like, I'm always thinking 30 years in the future or four steps ahead or a hundred years in the future. Thank you, Star Trek, or even <laughs> more. Right. And, and that is, I'm seeing like, okay, let's not just look at where we are now and think that we're a complete species, yeah. but let's look at how the trends that we're evolving in. And yeah. the trends that are evolving right now is diversity, is exclusive, like not being exclusive. It is inclusivity is what I was trying to say. <laughs> it's like, those are the trends. And so yeah. I recognize down the road and Star Trek did this too. There has to be a point where we take these branded exclusive narratives, religious narratives, and we have to say, I'm letting go of the ropes, yeah. but I'm going to hold on to the values. Yeah. And it's a scary thing to do yeah. because that can mean that we lose our community. We can lose, you know, our, our friends, our family, our marriages, whatever. Um, but in the long run, that's what's going to be most healthy for yeah. our species. You know? No, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is what really frustrates me about um, Christianity, my own tradition um, and backgrounds, is that we, we fail to see that this is kind of running right through the Bible, if you're willing to see it, is this evolution of humanity, an evolution of their way of understanding themselves, their worlds, th their connection to whatever might be beyond mm -hmm. that, the divine. You know, mm -hmm. you look at the, the laws of God, there are these black and white laws that like, you know, Christians today are trying to drag us back to the Bronze Age so we can enact these black and white laws but yes. when you look at those laws they're copies of the laws that already existed right so you've got mm -hmm. the code of harambi you know a good example might be an eye for an eye right so in the code of harambi it says if someone causes you to lose an eye if they're richer than you you they're you're to pay get paid for your eye right if they are on the same social status you can scoop one of their eyes out with a spoon if they're poorer or lower status than you you get to kill them and then so Moses or whatever the story is behind that, the Israel uh, law evolves and comes on the scene and goes, hey, there's this law, we're going to make an eye for an eye, period. And everyone's like, wait, right. what? So wait, but what if they're, no, 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 just an eye for an eye. So it's not about eyes at all, it's about equality. But then you go further along down the story and some random peasant from Nazareth shows up and goes, hey guys, I got some ideas. Um, I know like we're not supposed to be speaking out much as peasants from Nazareth with no training or anything, but I was thinking, you know, that eye for an eye thing. What if we just treated everyone with a little bit of grace, a little bit of forgiveness, maybe thought, eh, maybe exactly. you didn't intend to spoon out my eye. Why don't we just call it even? You do you. It's hard right? to do that on accident, but yeah. Okay. I know, but it's a weird law anyway, right? Cause how many people were like losing eyes in these cultures, right? I mean, it's a, it's a yeah, pretty unspecific, right? I, I go with like, you know, I don't know, losing a finger or something. I feel like there's, there's things that are missing more often than eyes. Um, but anyway, like there's this evolution. There's this, this stepping process yeah. throughout mm -hmm. scripture. Now, whether you're going, Oh, that's God inter weaving or where you just go well that's just human humanity evolving right learning it, it's us evolving it happens right. with slavery it happens with even women right women are treated less like property yes. in the bible uh, as some laws come into place than they were in the surrounding mesopotamian culture before 
still treated like shit. No one's questioning that. No one's saying, wow, look at the Bible. It's a bastion of equal rights. No, it's 3,500 years ago. What the hell were you expecting? Right? Of course, it's not a bastion of human rights um, as we deem it now in, you know, 2020. Um, Although in some parts of the world, it's probably not bad. (laughs) Um, But it's like, well, okay, so we're seeing this progression. Can we look at what the Bible is showing us? And as we study it through that and look at the metaphor that's there, the, the mythology that runs through it, yes, the, yes, the yes, human yes, experiences yes. that are there and how humans grow and evolve and manage to become better people and, and, and aspire to be better people and include more people and, and maybe ev- de- devolve some of their, um, you know, their nationalism, nationalism and then patriarchy, all that kind of stuff is starting to, can we go, okay, and then Revelation 21 comes, full stop. All right, we're done. That is the perfect standard. Everything in these pages, perfect mm-hmm. standard of God. Let's go backwards. And and we fight anyone that's trying to move us forward, right? And that's why, you know, we're constantly getting fight against any kind of momentum or movement. The Christians are going, no, 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 no. We want to go back to that time. They see I love backwards as perfection rather than, but if we can look at it, and this is why I think the progressive church has a lot of potential because at its roots at its default core it has this ethos there's a trajectory that is set in place through christianity through jesus got hijacked by rome and and by many other different types of empire and and patriarchy and also stuff but the trajectory is is that way it's more love more inclusivity more diversity you know more acceptance more grace non-violence uh you know non-nationalism xenophobia racism that's a trajectory so if we keep following it yeah we're probably not going to see an end of slavery in 50 ad probably not but by 2000 maybe we will if we keep following right right, um, right now would it happen without christianity probably on some level would it has christianity accelerated it maybe i don't know maybe it's held it back you know you could argue a lot of things but but that, that that trajectory is there if if people are willing to engage with it but instead we use the bible as this kind of backwards perfect monument to look back on and try and restore well, but i can't blame anybody for doing that because that's how it's no. written right yeah. and so it's like it's embedded inside of those claims it's embedded inside of that culture so like i I didn't really relate with Jesus that much growing up, but I relate with him more now than I do back then because Mm. I see myself like living in a way that's similar to him. I was raised fundamentalist. Then I got some outsourced, like outside information. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I agree with all this anymore. So now I want to come back. And it's how those stories came to us. Who knows if Jesus was like even one person or if he was, many people there's like one theory that i've heard where jesus like when he was younger made a trip and actually was influenced by like eastern religion and i think that's really interesting because that's yeah. where that's what a lot of like the do unto others the way you would be treated comes to, like a lot of have you reflexive... read the story um christopher um, moore's book lamb it's a novel and it's about jesus as a kid going on a journey and goes into the east he learns from buddhism and Hindu. i've heard of it but it i haven't is... read that yeah funny if you can find it it is hilarious the whole way through it explores that idea through a kind of like what could be um but it is really really well written and really funny so just on that note it's worth it i like that so i mean i relate with him in some ways of like being kind of pushing against the dominant culture and in and and asking the dominant culture to evolve better Mm. to 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 evolve more and so yes there's definitely this there's tension between progressive and concern um 
conservation. Conservation is let's go back to what it was. But really embedded in the Bible is things that say, nope, God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to change. This is the way, the truth, the light. There's no other ways except through this. Like it's all embedded in there. And so like I hear a lot of like progressive Christians criticizing fundamentalists. And that was another thing that was interesting to me too is like, to hear the prejudice that Christians have against other Christians. Hmm. And it's like, okay, what makes progressive Christianity good is not necessarily stuff that's found in the Bible. It's like external values that have been adapted Hmm. because they were such a part of the the cultural ethos. And then like fundamentalists are mad at progressions because progressives because they're like, yeah, but this says that it's the end all. Why aren't you treating it that way? (laughs) And so like that whole, like, that whole tension I'm sympathetic for, but also it's like, okay, but if you all can just take another step back, an objective look and be like, oh, okay. It's, it is just an evolution of storytelling. It is an evolution of like morality instead of like claiming to be the end all, if we looked at it as a stepping stone, I think that we would benefit ourselves even more. But what I mentioned earlier, I think keeps us from doing that. And that is the other survival techniques that these narratives have picked up along the way to survive that include heaven, threats of hell, uh, eternal torment, the Holy Spirit, you know, changing us from the inside. These different things that have like come along the way to condition our beliefs I think is what is preventing us from looking at it as just another step mm. in the evolutionary process of morality and storytelling. And that's where like, that's where like a lot of my passion comes in of like, how do we keep the good? We can have a more self-aware observation of knowing or objective observation that this is like a stepping stone of morality, not the yeah. end all. Um, and how do we introduce those values without having them one-to-one married to very specific narratives because even with like a progressive christian i'm their least of these as a as an atheist Mm -hmm. and i know how i've been treated and talked about and talked to and dismissed by a large 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 percentage of the progressive Christians that I've interacted with. And, and it's, it's another blind spot. Mm. It's another area of growth of like, Oh, I have to treat atheist the way that I treat other Christians. Are we sure? Do I have to, you know, and that's kind of the attitude that I've seen. So it's like, I see the evolution that they're making and I think it's beautiful, but I'm also experiencing them doing to me what they think they've stopped doing to people. And it's like, honey, you haven't stopped doing that. You've just found another least of these to treat as least of these. So it's like what we need now is another newer New Testament (laughs) of somebody coming forward and being like, ah, let's just worry about the values. And, uh, but they've created their religion in a way where that's not going to be possible. Um, they've, they're, they're, they're done. It said what it needs to say. Now it's about conserving what has mm-hmm. said, been said. And then 
evolving it to work in this new environment, which yeah. means ignoring some of it, revisionist history and other parts, and like stretching the beliefs and making it more metaphoric, which is good. But um, I think there really is a point where that rubber band just isn't going to be able to be pulled anymore. Mm. And, and the choice is to either be, okay, you can conserve this stuff or you can progress with the rest of us. And um, the more people who keep on progressing, the more it's going to be pulling on some of those exclusive religious branding of uh, yeah. beliefs and morality. Um, but the fact that they are stretching is great. And it's like a definite step above what the um, what the Bible and the New Testament's Pharisees were doing uh, because they were just about conserving. There wasn't going to be any any stretching or manipulating or anything. This, this is this is the truth yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, whereas Jesus came in and said, okay, well, it was said this, but what if we do this? Mm. And that evolution is so important. But the next step of that for Christians is going to be probably to, to lay lay aside those labels, those brandings, those exclusivity clauses, those, oh, well, we've got a special place when we die, but you don't <laughs> sort of thing like that, that sort of thing is what is going to be kind of, it's like erosion, you know, it's a constant stream of, of going against these things. And mm. there's some levees and some tributaries that, that remain intact for a very, very long time until just enough water goes by and then it all just goes into the ocean. And, and it, that's what I think we're coming up towards. Mm. So what is this? Um, talk to me about reconstruction and how storytelling um, can create healthy reconstruction for people that have gone through deconstruction. What, what does that look like for you? Because I know that's something you're really passionate about, helping people reconstruct something. Now, I will say, you know, being in this world and being heavily associated with deconstruction, I talk to people all the time. I've had people on the podcast that are um, quote unquote experts in reconstruction and they'll help you reconstruct. Um, and in my experience, most people that talk about reconstruction are talking about how to now rebuild what you've deconstructed and do it a better way and so they'll go right so you got rid of your christianity you got rid of this this this, and this now you can rebuild a christianity without that yes. that and that um now to me that's very prescriptive like i said maybe some people that works for maybe people that just need to deconstruct certain components and that's where they're at and maybe that's where they're at to be till day they die or maybe for another 10 years before something else causes some new things to tumble um, but for a lot of people, they're not looking for another expert to go, I have the answers. If you do this, this, and this, it'll be fine. Um, I'm, I'm imagining, I don't know, maybe that is kind of um, what you're putting forward, but I'm imagining you're not uh, offering a rebranded, repackaged, um, black and white, here you go, yeah. nice <laughs> finished package for you just to believe this, everything will be fine. And you can reconstruct and have a nice life what is reconstruction to you and how are you helping people on that journey through the art of storytelling? So for me, I had to really deconstruct so much shit at once. Mm. 
sense, right? So it had to do with like deconstructing Christian history, deconstructing where the Bible came from, deconstructing storytelling, deconstruct indoctrination and conditioned beliefs, morality, all these different things that Christianity tells you is all one package and it is a package. But then as for me being analytical, I was looking, I'm like, no, I'm observing something different here. And that is, um, I see these values pop, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated, that's popping up everywhere. And so coming at a more evolutionary process with it has been really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, grew up fundamentalist, believed in, in creation until like my mid-20s. And I, you know, that's, that, that was the difference between progressive and conservative is, is we, we would think, well, it's always been this one thing. But then if you observe, which is the opposite of faith, right? <laughs> faith is just believing what you're told. Observation is coming up with conclusions after looking and, and coming up with theories and to listening to other input and, and everything. So my thing was I was going to step back and observe. And when it came to storytelling, um, Joseph Campbell was really helpful for that. Mm-hmm. Well, first, Dan Harmon, who created, he's such a skis bucket, which is just really funny to me <laughs> that like, you know, he created uh, Rick and Morty and Community and these other like just comedies, but he talks all the time about what he calls the story circle. And the story circle is just an adaptation of the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And then if you observe the hero's journey, it's like, okay, it lacks diversity in some ways, but that's because the cultures that it was observed in lack diversity. But like, what does that look like for us? And really, I look at it, observe it, and I see it as just evolution. It's the storytelling technique of evolution. You're in a difficult environment, you adapt, you find new tools, you find new allies, you come up against conflict, and then you find a way to fucking defeat that conflict, and then you're safe again. And that's yeah. what the hero's journey is, is just that, that formula, that outline being observed in all different cultures. Mm. So Joseph Campbell and other philosophers stepped back. They looked at mythology from all these different places and say, this is what they have in common. That's really interesting because they never had the ability to influence each other. But here's this like commonality. Well, of course, because that's like what evolved and that's what helped us evolve and that's the storytelling that lasted because that's the storytelling that is most representative of the abstract things that keep us alive as a, as a species adapting coming up with tools uh learning from our environment and then coming back and like creating a more holistic society so when i think of those things that really really informed my reconstruction And so what I want to do now is to kind of like gear people towards a more, a more universal storytelling techniques and universal storytelling instead of just the ones that came from our dominant dominant cultures and reflect Mm. what's already comfortable to us. Because I recognize in the long run, that's going to be, it's going to include the most voices, number one, like there's things that I can learn from other mythologies and religions that I it didn't have when I was inside of Christianity and that was a a, a lack on their ability to listen to others mm. but I don't I can overcome that I can evolve past not wanting to listen to other cultures and other people um, and for me right now like because I was a, I'm a TV 
moron. I love television so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were in the golden age, the platinum age of television. Why not? Right. But for me, Absolutely. a lot especially of especially when like, you're in lockdown, right? I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, hell yeah. And it also, especially when you're indoctrinated and like, and you were brought up like in a sheltered home where you weren't exposed mm. to too much more. So television became like a precedent for me. I watched the show Shameless and I'm like, oh, this is a really dysfunctional family. But I see some of them like evolving in it. And I'm sorry, just seeing like all these different shows that are like about humans overcoming obstacles and not giving the glory to like, oh, some, you know, God up there gave me the ability to do this but it is built into our survival. It is built into our species. Mm. And to not export the the credit and the appreciation anymore, but to keep it in house and to keep it within us. Because like religion, the way that I look at religion is it's, it's all of us collectively giving up something to something that's not even there. Whereas spirituality or things like witchcraft, even though I don't believe in like the narratives and and whatever is going on there, I have a deeper appreciation for it because it's, Hey, here's the power that we have built within us. And now let's use it for each other and Mm -hmm. within each other, not just throwing it up to the top one. You know, if I could be Bernie Sanders for a second, up to the top 1%, which is like God, it it creates this hierarchy where spirituality keeps like maintains a, um, the power to the people. So like storytelling has this ability of doing that and just watching something on Netflix for Christ's sake, Umbrella Academy, um, Shameless, Community, Lost, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, all of these different shows, The Matrix, um, all these things that are built on how do we empower people to empower people instead of how do we empower people to empower a narrative or to believe to empower an ideology was groundbreaking for me. Mm. And I, and I give so much credit to um, Bill Maher's interviews with Joseph Campbell, the power of the myth, which was on PBS and so much credit to, um, to Dan Harmon for talking about the story circle as much as he did and special features from, you know, uh, the, the matrix DVDs or whatever that we have available to us. Now there's just so many of these things that we can look at storytelling as a evolutionary humanistic adaptation. It's, it's a gift that's unique to us instead of looking at a religion as a gift to us, looking at any one specific religion or any specific storytelling thing like beneficial to us now we can look at the whole process include more diverse voices and and use that as our our precedent making Mm. our morality making i can think to myself oh man when lip and shameless was really going through like alcoholism here are the things that helped him so i want to be mindful of other people that are going through that thing because of the things i've learned from this show or from this storytelling. And of course, no storytelling is the end all. It needs to be um, alongside of like real life stories and real life books, yeah. et cetera. So for me, like Brene Brown became my new apostle, Paul. She helped me understand, or probably more Jesus. She under, helped me understand empathy and treating others the way that I want to be treated. Yeah. Um, and then I could read things by like these other historians, like um, the book Sapiens, 
became mm. my you know book of Genesis. Yeah. And and all these now all these other voices, including a fuck ton of women and non-binary people and trans people that were never going to be available to me inside of Christianity, mm. um, unless they unless they were somehow benefiting that dominant culture, if they somehow were were steering their culture to go alongside their culture, those voices weren't going to be available to me. Um, but now like I'm open to so much more. And I know people are like, Oh, but how do we know how the world started then? Or like they look at the things that like the, the narratives that they were brought up with provided them. You can't do this now, can you? So obviously your way is, is faulted. And it's like, well, no, you're just using creative storytelling as evidence yeah. of something that you want to believe. That's not how the world works. If you want other people to question their storytelling as evidence, then you have to be willing to question your storytelling as evidence. Yeah. And, and at the end of all of that, if I treated everybody the way that I wanted to be treated and treated myself the way that I wanted to be treated, then my only answer to that for me and my, my journey is to say, Storytelling is storytelling. It's a tool. It's not the end all. Yeah. So if I land on a narrative and that becomes my thing, then I'm doing a disservice to my species and I'm doing a disservice to my environment and a disservice to the world at large. Instead, I want to see storytelling as an avenue to share values, to mm. share morality, and to do it in a way that doesn't indoctrinate and doesn't condition beliefs, but speaks on the things. Here's the difference. You read the Bible and it's, this is who you should be. You listen to humanistic storytelling and you see who you already are. Mm. And when you see who you are and then you see other characters progressing past that, that inspires you, not indoctrinates, it inspires you to become more of who you already are instead of changing course completely to become something that you're yeah. not. So like me repressing my sexuality until I was 28 years old, that that's indoctrination. Whereas now I, there's a show United States of Terra and in it, um, the son is realizing he's gay. And it's about him like in high school realizing he's gay and coming out. I watch that now and I'm like, I see myself in Marshall. Mm. And I want to, I want to progress as Brady equipped from what I learned from this fictional character. And now I want to become a better part of who I am and a better part of who we can be as a society. Yeah. And so like finding inspiration and in storytelling provide something that we lost when we leave fundamentalism. Uh, we lose our history. We lose our inspiration. We lose what we see as our, the precedent for our lives of like, this is how life is. And so I'm going to continue going down this path. But like storytelling has the ability of blowing all of that out of the water and making it about how do we actually treat each other? What are the values that we're actually holding on to? And when you see a value not being withhold in a story, you see that oppression, that authoritarianism, and you see it as the injustice as it is. And that's what the story is about, is that injustice being dismantled, being evolved past, beyond. 
and seen it like destroyed in some ways. Mm. Um, the destruction doesn't always have to be fire and whatever, <laughs> but it could just be you seeing it for what it is, looking at it in the eyes and saying, you're not yeah. for me anymore. I'm better than this. And walking away from that. And that's like, <laughs> they tear it up again. That's so fucking powerful. That's so Huge. fucking important. And that's yeah. what brings healing. That's what brings healing. Yeah. It's amazing to me. Uh, you're right. We live in this golden age when it comes to um, access to story. You know I mean? You think about these times in the, in the bronze age, you know, when, when people were originally telling the Genesis story, right? There was like maybe like two creation stories kicking about, you know, and that's it. And that's basically the, the of, that's two of the like eight stories people have, or, you know, I'm sure they had a lot more, but you know, they, like we can flick onto Netflix and start, all right, which of the, 200,000 movies or shows we want to watch today. You know, and it's like, are you kidding? Like, this is insane. The, the worst TV shows available today are still like pretty fantastic. You know, there's, there's entire teams of people involved. Get, I, I know they're pretty crap because we've become very, um, uh, it's all perspective, right? So you get used to your epic shows and everything else becomes twaddle. Um, but there's this, this opportunity to engage with such phenomenal um, questions and explorations and ideas and themes in ways that um, people have only ever really engaged through things like religion and 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 uh, you know maybe some gen general philosophy or whatever but people are doing it in such a, a normative way now you know you look at something like the good place right everyone loved the good oh, place yes, yes, um, yes, 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 yes fantastic yes. it's great it's wonderful it's very light it's very easy but it's actually mm -hmm. freaking deep right i mean each episode yep. there you know he's, you've got chidi talking about some philosophical concept but what you don't realize unless you're actually paying attention which i'm hoping most people do realize this but some people are like whoa that was deep i didn't realize that but each episode is about that topic that Chidi brings up. It's like a meta mention to what the, the overall episode is about. And you're actually going through that philosophical dilemma in that one episode. And it's like, that's cool. People watched four yeah. seasons or three seasons or however long, I can't remember how long it was, but it was like 70 episodes or something. People went through 70 philosophical exercises by watching The Good Place. Now, I don't know anyone, generally speaking, in like, you know, the average kind of like, sphere of my influence or people that live around me that would go and do over three years 70 philosophical like you know um, right, studies right, and right. like think about it and what do they believe but people engage with that it's amazing or I, when i was in the south um the beginning of this year before everything closed down i was in the south in really rural locations just meeting with some communities and hanging out and i, I got to speak to some of the, the the kids there like teenagers and i was like guys there's some backward shit kicking around here. Like what is going on? Like I, I had this theory cause like I was talking with people that had kind of emerged out of this kind of culture of extreme Christianity, fundamental Christianity, very rural Americanity, um, you know, that J S USA kind of vibe. Um, and Jesus, like, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, okay, this is a weird world, especially as a European. So it, never mind as a deconstruction, but just as a European, even if I was entrenched in Christianity and came over to America, I'm like, whoa um, that was my first experience as a christian um yeah but now i'm like whoa this is crazy you know talking to people that are like you know going through all sorts of weird and wonderful things i won't go into it but um i i had this hunch and i talked to these teenagers and i'm like where are you guys at like your parents are like here and like this is some areas they're growing in and whatever but like where are you at like what's going on and they're like wow i know my parents say this but like i'm not there and it's like how why 
how have you managed that when everyone in your schools also got parents that are racist sexist religious you know whatever it might be um how have you got there and they're like I was raised by the internet and Netflix and Instagram and, you know, and there's, it's impossible not to have this empathy beyond your little bubble. Now it is impossible not to put yourself in that other person's shoes when you're watching whatever it is. Um, When you're following different Instagram people, you can be in like the most rural city in Louisiana and you can be following someone in New York or Paris or Sydney and be like, huh, I guess it's not, exactly like what it looks like everyone is like here you know it's exactly. not it's not that's not the only story whereas throughout history there were people that were like here's your story enjoy and that was yeah. the end of the discussion right and that's kind of like what religion was right like it if we look at, at the evolution of storytelling it makes sense that yes eventually these certain clusters would start getting these new weaponized ideas and new weaponized beliefs and they keep on expanding and eventually they're going to start running into each other because mm. geographically there's only a limited amount of time and sp- that's evolution, right? You've got this species growing up, but there's limited resources. And so it's got to find ways to like fight against those resources. And, and whenever the Bible and everything was, it was your creation myth. It had to do with your morality. It had to do with what stories you would like relate to. Of course, ancillary things like the Canterbury Tales and other stories that came alongside of it and saints. But like what is the, the purpose of a saint is like to have more people for you to empathize with, to have more and more representation. Yeah. But there's only so much representation that can be done within that religion, especially when it ostracizes group, huge groups of people. And so what you're describing is like this diversity that's so goddamn important. And I always think of Star Trek when I go back to it, because in the original Star Trek in the 60s, which I'm not a huge fan of because it's still misogynist. It's hard to go back and watch that. It was so progressive. And now you're like, God, this is some backwards stuff. Which is kind of like the New Testament. weird clash, right? (laughs) Yeah, where like the New Testament was so progressive for its time that now it's like, Oh my God, you're really fucking holding this back here. <laughs> but like you have a Ahura who is a communications officer and there was so many like young women of color who who watched her growing up and was like, that's me. I'm Huge, represent- like right? Whoopi Goldberg was a big one. And, and that's like her story is that representation of Ahura. When she grew up, she said, I want to do that. And she ended up becoming on, on she became an actress and was on next generation everything to like honor that part of her past but like man in a bible like the closest like representation we have is joseph or i'm sorry jonathan and david because you yeah. know you know they were sucking each other off like in the palace. <laughs> but like but they had to be ashamed and they had to cover that up and they had to so it's like all these different types of representation that weren't available then that educated and it forms the, d- the dominant cultures that we have now that perpetuates and conserves the same traditions, the same value values, but not even, I wouldn't even, I'm doing air quotes know, if you listen to the podcast, but like it, that's not a value, but now we've hit that. We've hit that next step of evolution. And that next step of evolution is now our environment involves the internet where people can communicate mm-hmm. and they can have conversations with people. They norm- they can have conversations with other people who are deconstructing their faith. What the hell right. are people who have left the faith? That's never been available in my Southern Baptist church growing up. Yeah. So like the internet has allowed for so much more representation and a Star Trek has this, this 
phrase of like infinite diversity with infinite combinations. And the, and the idea is that like, as long as you're not harming people, you matter. As long as you're not creating harm, if you do no harm, you matter. And even if you do harm, you matter, but it needs to be a way for us to come alongside of you and to like do it. So you're not harming other people. If you're going to be sitting at the table with us, which is like what the Federation's all about, but that's a whole Mm. other, that's a whole other thing. But like, um, we need to have you come back on and do, we we need to do like a Star Trek special. I'm not even a huge, but yeah, I, it's, I blame quarantine. I needed, I needed something that had a lot of content was going to be secular humanist. And number one was going to be optimistic about the future. So and good. so I'm like, okay, I'll get into '90s Star Trek. So Deep Space Nine <laughs> was my shit because Deep Space Nine is about a single black dad running a space station by this planet that's been under like um, authoritarian occupation for the last 50 years and just got their freedom. Wow. And they're highly religious because like that's what like helps them hold on to it, um, hold on to hope, et cetera. And now it's like they have to deal with like the prejudice and all the weird political stuff that comes out of it. Voyager is about a female captain who's just like trailblazing the fuck out of shit. And she's like surrounded by this diverse crew and they're all about how are we gonna get home from this impossible journey and realizing they may even be dead of Mm -hmm. old age by the time the rest of the crew gets home but they're going to keep pushing because they see (laughs) jesus i'm getting emotional about this again (laughs) they're seeing the bigger picture of like of what their ship represents and their ship represents a people and they're picking up other aliens along the way and saying hey join us we're going this way if you want to come with us be part of our crew and then seven of nine being like the most beautiful Mm. like illustration of that for me like i've got a picture from my wall just this idea of breaking away from the fundamentalism finding it so many of her episodes are about dealing with the ptsd and the complex ptsd of leaving what she thought was her home for decades mm. and it's like i fucking relate with that but then for her to say like Voyager is my collective now. Mm. And just what the meaning of that is for her. So the, the point, like what that would be for me is for me to say, the world is my church now. People are my congregation, my, my church family now. And just to see like that concept taking a new meaning and when it does take a new meaning and includes more people, it has actual real justice, social justice, et cetera. And it honors so much more than just the dominant culture that propped me up and gave me whatever. Yeah. And um, then recently, you know, there's the Star Trek Discovery, which is very trauma informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like there's Saru who understands fear as a tool and not as a hindrance for him anymore. And just all these different just diversity upon diversity, diversity of how do we keep challenging the stories that we tell to include more people, to be more progressive, and how do we prepare for a better future tomorrow? Because religion doesn't want and isn't out to create a better future. 
structure on earth. It's how do we survive it? So we're all sucked up out of here and then everything's given to us in this like sterile environment. But evolution doesn't occur in sterile environments. No. It creates an environment that we're placed in. What has to be sterile is our values of like wanting to include, not wanting to do harm. Those are the things that need to stay the same. But how they come out and how they express themselves in a very complex world is going to look different for each one of us. Um, but it's also going to look the same for each one of us in a lot of ways too. Mm. So yeah, that's like, I don't know, just that's where my mind, excuse me, my mind is with storytelling now mm. is learning about emotional intelligence from Brene Brown, learning about how storytelling can be used by Dan Harmon and, 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 and JC, <laughs> Joseph Campbell. And, and then now, and now like applying my story, my experience as, well, I'm not just an atheist, but I'm an atheist who came out of deep Christian, who at mm. the age of 14, who, every decision that I made from 14 to 28 was to be this, the best, most like biblical pastor that I could be to like now applying my experience to all of that, deconstructing each one of those things down to their elements and putting them into a jar and be like, this is who Brady is now. <laughs> and then, then having the courage and the vulnerability to share my story and to share who this jar is now and hoping that when I share this jar of, of, of my humanity, that other people will see that courage, that vulnerability, that they'll be inspired by it, not indoctrinated by it, but they'll yeah. be um, drawn on instead of conditioned and that they'll find their version of what's in my jar and that together, like we can take these themes and we can create a better, I'm a dad for Christ's sake. You know, I'm not looking for a rapture. Yeah. I'm not looking to just die and go to heaven. I'm looking at how do I help the bigger picture, something that I'm just a little minute part of. I want to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and say, how can I benefit the bigger deal for my son, kids around the world that I've never even met or ever will meet, yeah. and next generations, because that's what evolution is. is yeah. It's a generational thing. It is multi-generational. It is over a long period of time. It's not just about securing my salvation or, or perpetuating one narrative or perpetuating one religion over other ones. It's about all mm -hmm. of us. And in, and in when we get in the space and if we find other <laughs> aliens, you know, how do we live alongside yeah. them instead of at them? How do we find those common themes along people that are different? Because that's, that's what Star Trek is. The reason that they have aliens is so they can teach us about humans. Yeah. Yep. Is is and then eventually, yeah. If we have aliens, you know, long down the road, they, maybe we'll we get along if we can introduce some aliens into the thing. We can all just hate the aliens so that we can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll Honestly, all team up again. It's, no, it's, no. Yeah. I know, I know. It is. It's one thing I think would really bring humans forward massively very quickly is if there was suddenly an obvious 
other that made us realize, whoa, we aren't that different. <laughs> you know, and that's what the internet's thing. doing, right, Phil? And it is. It, it's the... absolutely the globalization. The internet is suddenly normalizing um, so much of this. But I, I, the time has blown, um, and I feel like there's loads uh, I'd love to keep talking about. But um, I actually, I, I, me and my wife are going out for a meal, which I'm very excited about. Nice. Um, Go for and it. so uh, we should have you back on, and we should talk more about all sorts of different stuff if, if you're up for it at some point. Too. Um, but I've absolutely loved chatting with you. I hope people, I'm assuming if people are still listening, they loved it as well. Um, everyone else dropped <laughs> off in the first 20 minutes or, um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love chatting. It was a real privilege to get to know you and, and pleasure, just pleasure. your heart. And I think what you're doing is so important. You know, I think we're kindred spirits, um, maybe with slightly different groupings or maybe very similar groupings. I don't know following this, but what you're doing, I think is, is that's what it's about. It's about helping excuse me, helping people on their journeys, helping them realize they're not alone, giving people a, a, a new um, drive in life to, to build new narratives and new stories that they can find purpose and meaning in their lives for and, um, and, and reframe and integrate all that is good in their past and let go of what's bad that. in the past. Absolutely. Good God, we need to let go of a lot of stuff as well. Um, we didn't that. even get into a lot of that, like how to dive in and, and deal with that some of the re religious trauma stuff and things so yeah we, we definitely need to do another one at some point um how can people connect with you if they want to do obviously the life after podcast they need to be checking that out um are, mm -hmm. are you're on social right you're I, I know you're on instagram you're on twitter as well are you yeah i do twitter and instagram um and then i also host an online community for people deconstructing their faith that's associated with our podcast so if you find our podcast and if you want to like go into an online community, um, though I'm atheist, that's not the purpose of the group. The group sure. is just to kind of like provide a safe place for people to ask questions and get in touch with other people who are going through the same stuff because there's not a precedent established for it, you know, especially with the limited uh, resources that we are given. So, yeah. um, and then I'm also planning on maybe doing like YouTube stuff soon, but I don't know nice. yet. So we'll be around, I'll be around. It's just Brady Harden. It's a weird ass name. You're going to uh, come some up other people guy. Google that? Yeah, there's some other guy in Australia who has my name. But hey, I think he's cool too. But <laughs> Give I think him a follow as well, you know. But. You'll read on his Twitter and be like, I don't think this is the same guy That's that I guy. just heard on that podcast. So uh, yeah, I, I try to be pretty easy to find and do a lot of, I do too much social media. Oh, I love social media. I, I, I have detox all personal. So I've, I've no personal social media anymore. I've done. And I just have my Instagram and that automatically mm. posts to a Facebook because for some reason there's loads of people on Facebook. Um, I've done with it's, Twitter. Yeah. It's just too much work. Um, Twitter is a pain in the ass. God, I hate it. Um, yeah. yeah, basically I just live on Instagram at this point, but yeah. Um, nice. Cool. So I'll, I'll make sure there's links to those in the show notes um, so people can uh, easily find you. And, and yeah, absolutely. If people love this, Shoot Brady a message, let him know that he needs to come back for another one. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do another one. Uh, I'd really Sounds love good. that. It'd be good. Um, but yeah, it's great to Thank you so much chat. for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It's, such it's a privilege. Stuff, so. yeah. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Love you, man. Catch you later, yeah? Sounds good. Love you too. Bye. Bye. All right. So that was Brady Harden. And you can check Brady out on Instagram and Twitter, like he said, just Brady Harden. I'll put the links in the show notes, of course. And his podcast is The Life After. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed chatting with Brady. I, I, I'm hoping we can do another one with him because I'd love to get into his... Uh, we can maybe do a, a geeky Star Trek uh, one. I probably need to brush up on some of my older Star Trek, but the newer ones I've really enjoyed. Um, 
but yeah a great mind a, a beautiful heart um and, and just um a real kindred spirit in helping people that have been through quite toxic backgrounds in these um very toxic backgrounds of faith that, that they can be a lot of the time and so yeah really really enjoy chatting with brady do let him know if you enjoyed that shoot him a tweet or an instagram dm or something and, and let him know you enjoyed it i'm sure he'd appreciate that um and of course give him a follow um as always you can message me on instagram anytime i'm, I'm here to chat if you need the deconstruction network.com um is the network where you can connect with people locally um that are going through deconstruction find people on the world map that are in your local area um can make a huge difference when you're going through this very isolating and lonely process and so do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com we're doing research through that as well that is um an option if you if you'd like to contribute to some research on the deconstruction uh movement um thegracecourse.com if you're more christianity inclined um there's a lot of great teaching on how you can deconstruct a lot of your faith and yet hold on to some form of christianity there's uh lots of stuff on there about um lgbtq hell um the nature of god things like that um so do check out that as well. And then finally, if you want to be a part of a smaller community group, um, you can become one of my Patreons or partners. Um, and as a thank you for that, everything I do is for free. So you're supporting me doing all this, putting out all the resources and um, chatting with people day in, day out and helping them on their journeys of deconstruction. Um, all of that is free. So you help me do that. You help me pay the bills. It's a full-time job. Um, but as a thank you, um, there, I have a private discussion group um, over on Discords that you can be a part of um, if you want to partner with me. And so you can do that over at phildrysdale.com slash partner, um, or you can search me on Patreon if, if that's your jam. Um, but yeah, that's all for this week. We're going to do one episode a week in August, not two episodes as usual. I know that that will bum out some of you, um, but for others of you, you'll be, thank God, you can catch up on some of the other ones. And a two a week is quite a lot when it's, uh, you know, two, two and a half hours, some of them. Uh, but yeah, we'll do one a week uh, for the remainder of August. I've just had a really crazy time. Uh, I'm feeling quite drained, uh, a little bit low, being quite down recently on and off. And so I'm just trying to focus on my mental health, give myself some space, allow myself to breathe a little. Um, and so we're shifting to one a week just for the rest of this month while I, uh, yeah, just do some self uh, care. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully still enjoy. We've got some great ones coming up. I think next week we've got... Um, Brit Herbert and then the week after that we've got Keith Giles is back on as well to talk about the end times and how the end times affects us um, the, the theology of uh, uh, dispensational end times and so lots of good podcasts even though they're going to be down to one a week and that's all for now I'll see you next week cheers <laughs>